This is 50 Feminist States, a road-tripping storytelling podcast visiting all 50 U.S. states to interview feminist activists and artists about their work for gender justice. I'm Amelia Fruby, and this week, we're in Oregon. From the glaciers of Alaska to the dunes of Indiana, I want 50 feminist states. From the waves of New Hampshire to skies of Montana, I want 50 feminist states. And when you hear the cold, you know so well, sisters speak Amelia here. Welcome back to the 50 Feminist States podcast. If you're a new listener, this is episode 28, part one of this road tripping storytelling podcast, traveling across the United States to interview feminist activists and artists. And today we are in Portland, Oregon, where I did two very special interviews. We're going to hear the first of those in this episode. So for today's episode, I spoke with Rebecca Alexander, who is the founder of an app called Algo. Algo is, as she puts it in the episode, like a fat Yelp. It's a space where plus size people can go to review places that they go to talk about the accessibility of the space to them. This can include things like the size and shape of chairs, the availability of ramps or the requirement of walking upstairs, all sorts of things that people in straight size bodies may not think about as they're going out in the world. In this episode, Rebecca will tell us about the motivation she had for starting the app, challenges that she's faced in trying to get it off the ground and beyond beta testing, as well as the many other initiatives that Algo has going on. So we're going to hear about a really exciting stock photo project they put out last year, as well as a progressive political t-shirt offshoot of the company that they've been working on. And I will link to all of those things in the show notes in case you're already excited and want to go find out about them. I was so excited to do this interview because Algo actually did their first Kickstarter campaign at the same time that 50 Feminist States was doing its first Kickstarter campaign. And I remember donating to the Algo campaign and just really feeling like there was this synergy between that timing and knowing that I was really hoping that I could talk to the founder for a podcast. And here we are almost two years later, and that really happened. So it's always so exciting when those sorts of things come to fruition. It's exciting for me to reflect on how the podcast has grown in those two years, how we've been into 28 state so far. I can barely believe it. And also to see how Algo has grown and expanded from that Kickstarter campaign to now having a functioning app uh, with users all over the Portland area and hopefully soon all over the United States. Before we get into the interview, quick request. If you could head on over to Instagram and follow us there at 50 Feminist States, that's F-I-F-T-Y Feminist States. We're really trying to make it over that 1,000 Instagram follower level this season, and we are so close. As of right now, when I'm recording this, we're at like 997. Two days ago, we were at like 999. If you're on Instagram, you know how these numbers go up and down constantly. Um, But I would love to get over that 1000 number mark before we hit the end of season four, which is very, very soon. So if you're on Instagram and you haven't followed us yet, please consider giving us a follow at 50 Feminist States. If we hit that thousand follower mark by the end of the season, I'll do a giveaway and send a very lucky followers or a few followers some 50 Feminist States swag. So again, on Instagram, that's 50 Feminist States. While you're there, you can also follow Algo. Uh, I'll link to their Instagram in the show notes. They've got lots of great content there as well. 
For today, we'll be listening to the conversation that I had with Rebecca of Algo at their office in downtown Portland. I can't wait to share it with you. Here it is. My name is Rebecca Alexander, and I'm the founder of Algo, which is an app for plus-size people. And right now, we are in the middle of downtown Portland in a building that's occupied by huge tech companies that have raised hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and uh, just in case you were wondering, our app is not one of those companies. <laughs> uh, we, we do work from this building, but uh, we do so um, as kind of a minority and woman-owned business that um, one of the tech companies in town has kind of created space for mm-hmm. in their office space. It's um, uh, Puppet is the name of the tech company, and they have what's called the Puppet Innovation Lab, which is a kind of joint venture between Puppet, um, Prosper Portland, which is a kind of pseudo-governmental agency here in town, and um, a nonprofit called Portland Ex- Incubator Experiment. Mm. So um, they are on... The lookout for startups that are led by kind of non-traditional startup founders, mm-hmm. um, and they kind of bring us into the building, give us lots of support and resources, and you know try and help us achieve you know success in our missions and in our businesses. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. I want to start just with, I know this is a story you've told before, but for listeners who are not familiar, can you tell me, like, why did you start Algo and (laughs) what was that process like? Right. So specifically, Algo is a review app, kind of like Yelp. So we review public places, restaurants, theaters, doctor's offices. Uh, We review seating in those spaces. We review the atmosphere of those spaces. And the reason why I created that app, it's... um, you know, kind of like a fat Yelp, is because I used to go to Yelp (laughs) and Google Places looking for information about, you know, whether the chairs at a restaurant that I was invited to had arms, whether I'd be able to sit in a booth comfortably or if I needed to get a table uh, with chairs. And that information just was not easily accessible. It was either like, you know, hidden behind pictures of ravioli or (laughs) buried in the narrative sections of reviews. And that's because Yelp and Google have not been designed, you know, with the needs of plus size people in mind. They were designed with the needs of, you know, like amateur food writers in mind, which is totally valid and relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we needed an app that was designed for us so that we could kind of answer our questions about going out so that we could mm-hmm. ease our anxiety and kind of get the information that we needed. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about like for someone who maybe is listening they're mm-hmm. on their phone they've never downloaded the app like mm-hmm. what is the experience like like what kind of information is shared in these reviews yeah. specifically so the first thing that i will say is unfortunately we are still in beta so we are still in beta which means that we are really only available in portland oregon so um, if you are within 25 miles of downtown Portland, the app is a great experience for you. You can log in, you can create an account, find any place that's listed on Google on our app, and you can see reviews written by other people in Portland. You can see pictures of chairs that you know don't have photos of ravioli in them, <laughs> um, and you can get the information that you need uh, to go out with confidence and really like ease your anxiety about going to a new place. But if you're outside of Portland, you're going to be prompted to, uh, you know, let us know if you want to help us get all go off the ground in your city, which uh, we are actively working on a second version of the app that is out of beta and will be available um, hopefully 
hopefully sometime in 2020. Oh, that's so exciting to yeah, hear. It is. Yeah, I remember downloading the app after mm-hmm. the Kickstarter and realizing it's not in Chicago. And then yeah. when I reopened it today, uh-huh. I was like, oh, it works here. <laughs> I can actually uh, yes, see like, the inside yeah, you can and see it now. Um, the different reviews yeah. and yeah, what people are sharing, which is mm-hmm. so, so exciting. Yeah. Do you find that people on the app, like, are there a mix of positive and negative reviews? Are there more, like, are they, do they more often show up to say this space is great or like this space to share kind of bad experiences? It's totally a mix. Well, what we find, what we have found during the beta is that, you know, and this was not surprising to us, but the majority of people who use the app are using it to kind of get information, Mm -hmm. not give information, right? Which happens with every review platform. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) we have about 10% of our users are active reviewers. Usually it's only about 2%. So I'm like proud of that number. But yeah, so primarily people are reviewing when they're reviewing, they're reviewing like uh, everywhere they go. It's like one of their hobbies. It's like something that they do. They are a person that writes reviews, (laughs) uh, which are like, you know, our best friends as a review company. Um, We do have people who are, you know, active users on the app who are not necessarily that reviewer archetype. They're more that person that's on there just to get information that they need. And that person is more likely to leave a review that's negative if they have a bad experience, which is also really common. So for people who are on review platforms that aren't those like super users, um, typically their reviews are more on the negative side. But we have lots of people who are leaving positive reviews who are our super users. And I have been heartened a couple of times when I've looked on you know the app for information about um, a space I've never been to before to find actually positive results. So uh, every time I've actually looked for a place, people have like written and said, this place is great. You know, um, maybe occasionally with the exception of patio seating, which is, you know, another challenge for fat people. You all know what I'm talking about. (laughs) If you know, you know. (laughs) Yeah. I, it's something that I really enjoyed just kind of scrolling through the app this morning. It was both a way to consider my own comfort in spaces, but also mm-hmm. to learn like mm-hmm. um, about more things I can be thinking of in terms mm-hmm. of accessibility to spaces. Mm-hmm. So yeah. something I've noticed about kind of the Algo website and your blog and everything is, is there a part of the mission of the app that is also to kind of raise a broader awareness about inclusivity for all body sizes and yeah, for you all? Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny, you know, we started Algo um, with a mission in mind. And that mission was to, um, you know, really help plus size people like reduce their anxiety and live like life with confidence and fulfillment and, you know, just really ease their ability to go out and, you know, live their life to the fullest, right? And um, the app was a core part of that, is a core part of that. And at this point, everything from the beta has pointed to the app being an important part of the experience. But as a company, um, especially one that is started by someone, myself, who isn't uh, a coder in particular, like I don't have the skill set to like build the app itself. Um, I've learned a lot about how to, to, to design technology products and mobile applications. Um, but I am not... <laughs> like skilled in um, the languages that are required, you know, to produce uh, that beautiful app that you can download, you know, from the app store. (laughs) Um, And so I've really been forced as we've been kind of constrained, you know, financially to 
fulfill our mission in other ways. And so that is where the blog came about. That's absolutely something that I both have the technical ability and the passion to do. Um, and I had kind of volunteers, you know, come from other places on the internet to, you know, want to contribute to our mission. And they had the skill set to, you know, write and add some uh, to start some conversations about, you know, accessibility in certain places. Like we have a piece on our blog that is, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of like 6,000 words. Like it's a very long piece about the experience of plus size students fitting in desks in college campuses. We, like a really smart academic, referred to it as the hidden curriculum and um, that's taught by desks. And that is absolutely what we found. We spoke with 12 students who have uh, are plus size and have graduated college in the last 10 years. And they spoke about their personal experience arriving at college and being met with facilities that are that they literally cannot fit in, and then navigating institution um, institutions to kind of figure out how they can take advantage of all that the college is supposed to offer them and, frankly, that they're paying for. And it was a really interesting kind of topic for us to look into and specifically create some awareness of, like, on a kind of outside of, like, one particular college um, uh, campus. So, like, these conversations, you know, have been happening at individual institutions across the country for 30 years, frankly. And, like, publications, a few um, kind of research articles have been published about them. But when we published our piece, it was shared all over the Internet. Like, 100,000 people read it. It was amazing. Um, and so, you know, we didn't have to code in order to have that conversation yeah. and to raise that awareness. So um, we're, we're always on the lookout for ways that we can make an impact with the skills and the resources that we have available on our team. Yeah, and one of those things I've seen is this stock photography project yes. that you all did that I find so exciting. Can you can you just tell me and listeners a little yes. bit more about that? So last year, I was spending a lot of time doing a couple of things. One, I was, you know, trying to live out the mission of our uh, organization um, the best I could, uh, given the resources constraints that we had. And I was also trying to get more resources for us. So I was doing a lot of fundraising. And I was doing the kind of fundraising that is typical of startups. So if you've seen Silicon Valley, like it's that kind of fundraising where I'm talking to very wealthy people, some of whom are investing their own money, some of whom are investing money that other people have given to them and that they've created funds with. So angel investors and venture capitalists. I was having probably had 100 conversations last year with different individuals about really the the company that we were building with Algo. And that value proposition to them was, hey, there are over 100 million very plus-sized people in the United States. Uh, we all experience a shared set of problems where we're living in a world where we're treated differently because of our body size. And like we're aware of that to varying degrees. And then also we're living in a world that physically wasn't designed for us. And so we're creating a platform and a community at Algo where we're, you know, bring those people together. And like from that, we're going to be able to, you know, change the conversation about like the way that products are designed and developed. There's lots of economic opportunity available there. It's a, it's a community platform play, not dissimilar to a Facebook kind of business model, right? And we're 
as a company, we're not wedded to any particular business model at this point in our future, but I was at this point pitching like a Facebook kind of business model to these investors saying, Mm -hmm. let's get all these people on this app and then show ads to them and make lots of money. And um, our users were like pretty Honestly, they were neutral too excited about the possibility of getting ads because essentially they were like, oh, you mean you're going to introduce me to like products that are designed with me in mind? Awesome. (laughs) Where do I sign up? Um, And so we thought it was really a win-win. But uh, as you might be aware um, uh, and your listeners might be aware, like funding for women-led startups is like – almost non-existent, only 2% of venture capital um, for the last like 10 years has gone to women. Um, And when you layer in the other identities that I personally hold, being a fat woman, being a liberal arts graduate, not a computer science graduate, um, and, you know, also being somebody that comes from a working class background and um, who doesn't have the kind of connections that exist when you know, people are third generation Harvard and Stanford alum. It was, it was honestly just almost impossible for us to raise money. So, I gave it my all last year, <laughs> um, and I tried really hard to do that. Um, and during that time, I needed a creative outlet um, and a way for us to further our mission. And I was like, "Hey, I need photos for our Instagram because we're talking about all these issues, and this platform requires that I publish a pit." picture every time I, you know, like want to make a post, Uh, let's create these photos and like make them available for everyone. Because when I went looking for stock photography, you know, to post on our Instagram, the photos available of plus size people are few and far between. And many of them are completely dehumanizing. Um, Their heads are cut off. They are, you know, staring at a burger with like a guilty and shame-ridden look on their face um, in some of the most, like, horrific examples. Like, uh, there are pictures primarily of uh, fat men um, on, like, barca loungers in, like, um, uh, like underwear, basically, with, like, food, like, spilled all over their, f- like, face and down their front. And... It is just such a terrible stereotype. When you go on these stock photo sites, you start to wonder, like, of course there are, you know, like only 2% of images in the media depicting plus-size people because the stock options are really bad, like really bad. And so you're like, maybe we can make an impact on that and create some stock photography that's uh, feminist, that's empowering, <laughs> that is uh, diverse, that includes a variety of body sizes and uh, shapes. And so we did it. Um, found a photographer that was really interested in the project, found some models who were interested in the project. We all did it as volunteers. Um, we have uh, created just over, I think, 100 photos that we've now like made available completely for free on Unsplash. And they have been downloaded over 100,000 times. And um, it's pretty amazing. I mean, that's six months, you know. Yeah. Like, we're, uh, we're really proud of that project. And, again, we're just trying to create a space where plus-size people can feel confident and can, yeah. you know, live their lives to the fullest. And 
a lot of that has to do with representation. So um, this seemed like a great way for us to, you know, work toward our mission as I was trying to find the money to, you know, <laughs> expand the app beyond Portland. Yeah, I think having seen the pictures, they are so like... I think my first impression looking at them was like, oh, these are stock photos, which yeah. is great. Like, like they're like they're just meant they're to help boring. normalize. Like, yeah. yeah, they're not. Right. It's not a glamour photo shoot. No. <laughs> like, uh, the one of the most um, downloaded of the collection is literally of two fat women in bed drinking coffee. Great. That's literally what they're doing, and it's yeah. like. <laughs> This is really important and it's incredibly radical actually yeah. when you think about it because like we are oftentimes anything that's written about us, um, you know, is really the only time where we're represented. So mm-hmm. that photo of the people, you know, just drinking coffee in bed has been used by like startup selling checking accounts. It's mm-hmm. been used by dating apps. It's been used by all of these kind of like non-plus size specific conversations Mm -hmm. and companies and it's amazing because people are like imparting tons of meaning onto our pictures which is what stock stock photography is really great at Mm -hmm. and it just so happens that the models are not you know generic looking thin you know white men and women instead they're you know like beautiful fat bodies and it's really cool we're represented. Yeah, that's yeah. Like the the dream is to open up your bank account and like see uh, right <laughs> see somebody that looks like you and yeah. like not have any of the messaging around it be like fat specific. Like that's yeah. what normalcy looks like. That's what like inclusion actually means. Yeah. Right. And so we're we're helping. Yeah. yeah. I know you have other projects too, kind of a re- within the Algo mission that you're mm-hmm. working on. So I'd love to hear about, I guess, both like the book that you, the children's book mm-hmm. that you just launched, and Plus Size Four. Yeah. So whichever yeah. you'd like to go to first. So you know, as I've kind of mentioned, uh, financing all of these projects has been um, a part of my focus, mm-hmm. um, which you know is just the reality of living in you know today's society. Like we have to pay for these creative endeavors somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've done a couple of things um, on that front to try and kind of shore up some resources so that, you know, I personally can continue to work on Algo almost full time without, you know, having additional jobs. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I did is I wrote a book uh, for another startup in town that I met through the incubator that we're in, the Portland Incubator Experiment. Uh, called A Kid's Book About Body Image. Um, this particular uh, founder of this startup, he is a dad of six kids. He's a mixed-race guy. And after Donald Trump was elected, <clears throat> he spent a lot of time talking with his children about racism. Um, yeah. He has a blended family, um, you know, kids of many different races like in the family. And it was just like a conversation that, you know, they were having on a regular basis mm-hmm. because of the rhetoric that this man who is now elected president had been using. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he decided to write a book about it. Um, and then he started showing the book around to other people and people were really interested in it. And Um, so he actually kind of, he ended up forming it into a company. And so he launched a company called a kid's book about that is, um, based around the idea that 
kids are ready to have difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, It's that, you know, the adults in their lives just like need help, you know, having them. (laughs) Um, And so he has worked with a number of people that he, you know, um, and his uh, co-founders have uh, found and who they consider to be excerpts on subjects. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of the authors that he works with are Women are people of color. I think his publishing company now has more black like men authors than any other children's book company. Yeah. Um, it's pretty amazing the yeah. kind of cadre of people that he's um, put together. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually um, just was, you know, having a conversation with him, suggesting actually a lot of other amazing people that I've met in my work with Algo to help him write a book about like body image. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and he was like. Well, I actually think you should write it. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay. Um, and so I um, I was actually really amazed. It, it poured out of me pretty pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I really ended up falling in love with kind of the medium mm-hmm. of children's books. Um, you know, you get to um, – it's almost like poetry, right? Like yeah. there's rhyming and, you know, really fun devices that you can employ mm-hmm. in writing a children's book. And um, one of the features of books in uh, from a kid's book about is that they don't have images. So they're mm-hmm. not um, uh, illustrated books. They're books that are really – they rely heavily on the words. And the mm-hmm. words are um, – formatted in interesting ways. They use, you know, cool colors and typography um, to, you know, keep kids' attention. But it's really about the words, not about the pictures in these books. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was really fun to kind of think about that and, um, you know, tell that story, like, as visually as possible using just words. Yeah. Yeah. Can you share with us, like, what are some of the either lessons or maybe like a section of the book that was really exciting to you. Yeah. Um, So the book, it's, it's probably the most radical like children's book about body image Mm -hmm. on the market. I'm guessing. I mean, I specifically talk about um, the fact, and this was, I was encouraged to do this by this amazing publisher um, uh, to talk about like, you know, the industries that make us feel insecure about our bodies from diet industries to people that are selling skin lightening creams to, Mm -hmm. you know, people that are selling like hair straightening products or like muscle building products. I Mm -hmm. really like named them in this book. And I said, look, like these companies wouldn't make a dime if they weren't able to convince us that there was something about us that needs to be fixed. And so that's why we feel this way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That is why we you know, look at ourselves and think that there's something wrong with us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then I just I say what the truth is, which is that there's nothing about us that needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. And, that in fact, like, scientists are trying to, like, make robots and machines and sensors, <laughs> like, that can do things as well as our bodies can do them. Mm-hmm. And um, that, like, those are the parts that we should focus on about our bodies. Not mm-hmm. – they're way more important than whether or not you have a pimple. Yeah. So – um, it was a really fun book to write. Yeah, it yeah. sounds fun. I hope to get my hands on yeah, a copy I, soon. I really love the idea of the typographic, like ways that you can portray different things about like body image and shape and size through text. Sounds yeah, great. It's it's pretty fun. The yeah, there may or may not be like um, the word huge in font 
so large that each letter is like 10 inches tall in my book. This is great. I love it. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Um, another project that you were telling me about before we started recording that I'd love to hear more about is Plus Size 4. Yes. And so can you tell me what that is and how mm-hmm. it got started? Yeah. So, again, this came back to us trying to, you know, raise some money to kind of pay for um, the costs associated with Algo and our app. And essentially, I am uh, sort of a like, you know, a follower of politics. I, you know, um right there with like every time like a new hashtag comes out, like nevertheless she persisted. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm like that person. I'm excited by all of that stuff. Um and as you probably imagine and as your listeners have probably seen, like when those moments happen in our political discourse, like there are entire companies that are set up just to like start selling T shirts and coffee mugs and things like that. Yes. Like with those phrases on them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's great. It's fine. It's, you know, mostly a way, I think, for people to, like, show other people what they believe in, you know, Mm -hmm. based on what they wear, right? So political graphic tees, they're awesome. Uh, But they never come in my size. Mm -hmm. So I've been targeted by so many different companies trying to sell me a shirt with, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg on it. And no matter how cool the design is, I never click on the ad because I know that it's mm-hmm. going to stop at a 2x. Um, yeah. And that's because I've spent years clicking on those ads and yeah. being disappointed. So um, this year, as you know, like I'm paying more attention than I ever have before to national politics. Mm-hmm. All of my friends and family are paying more attention than they ever have before to national politics. I was like, you know what? I think that like there's an opportunity here for – like me to create some options for people like me who mm-hmm. can't find, you know, political graphic tees that share their values yeah. in their size and also make money for our app. And so we started a brand called Plus Size 4. But um, we are, uh, you know, just like creating shirts like that have Elizabeth Warren's face that say 100% that bitch and, you know, like making every plus size like progressive person's dreams come true. That's what we're trying to do. So our products offer uh, are all offered in um, a variety of different styles. Um, Each one, at least two of the styles go up to 6X. All of the styles at least go up to 4X. Um, And so we're doing the best we can to kind of, you know, make this kind of fashion accessible to the widest uh, variety of people possible. Yeah. And I think something that's really exciting about it to me is Mm -hmm. so much of your mission is about representation. But I think also like in terms of political tees and other things, the lack of those things in larger sizes suggests that, you know, plus size people aren't politically active, which is so false right and so insulting and you know their voters were engaged in all of these sorts of things and just the dismissal through the lack of options Mm -hmm. is something i'm excited that like plus size four is really addressing and you know like i think that if you know if this brand continues if plus size four continues down the line i would love to see in 
maybe it's five years, maybe it's 10 years, like us really having plus size progressive constituency that has an agenda because there are issues that play out at the national, at the state, at the local level that affect us directly. Like Mm -hmm. minimum wage legislation, like plus size people are overrepresented in minimum wage jobs. We should be fighting as a voting block Mm -hmm. (laughs) like for that kind of legislation. Certainly conversations about affordable health care and pre-existing conditions Mm -hmm. are very important to us. And so like it is the case that like we really should be mobilizing as a constituency and Hopefully, um, that's one of the directions <laughs> that body positivity goes. You know, I think mm-hmm. there's a lot um, that can be said about the history of body positivity as it relates, you know, to fat activism. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, like I think most people would look at what has gone on and say that the activist part of body positivity is really like kind of waned Mm -hmm. over the last five years but maybe I'm optimistic or you know just like um maybe I'm just energetic but I see I definitely see us like trying to move to a place where we have you know a community of people who are mobilized around these issues like I mean certainly even on the all-go side of things like accessibility is a core topic like we've Mm -hmm. seen legislation passed now in Washington state that, you know, guarantees access um, to plus-size people in workplace environments. Mm-hmm. This is important legislation. Um, employment discrimination, of course, like on the basis of size, is perfectly legal in mm-hmm. most states. It's not legal in Michigan. It's not legal in San Francisco and a couple of other municipalities. But most of the mm-hmm. places, you can be fired if you're fat. Yeah. And for no other reason. Yeah. And you, your employer can say that. Yeah. How crazy is that? It's 2020. Yeah. No. <laughs> and so, like, we have an interest in, you know, um, making reforms, like, through the legislative process to prevent mm-hmm. this kind of discrimination from happening and for improving plus-size people's lives. And so, you know, I would love to see us go there one day as we kind of build this community. It's not – we're building it not just for, you know, like, market power. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely part of it. We should demand – you know, better products that are not, um, you know, uh, sold to us with a fat tax attached. But we also should be, like, on the phone lines and at the ballot boxes, like, standing up for our rights, you know, as a voting block. Yeah, I think that's really exciting Yeah, to hear. And I love hearing how much, um, you know, I'll go as an app, but not just an app or something. We're like a community. A community. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get that app available everywhere <laughs> but we're a community yeah and you're already already a global yeah. community yeah. um Thank even you. if the app is only yeah. available here through all yeah. these other projects that yeah. that you have going on um yeah. and that's really exciting thank you awesome well thank you so much for your time thank this you has been great i've enjoyed Appreciate it amelia Thanks so much to Rebecca for taking the time to speak with me and being on the 50 Feminist States podcast. If you're excited about All Go, you can find the app in the App Store and also on their website at canweallgo.com. They are also, of course, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, so you can contact them there. I'd really encourage you to head to their website. We heard about so many great things they have going on. In addition to the things that Rebecca mentioned in the episode, like the Stock Photo Project, and Plus Size 4. They've also launched a new publishing platform on their website that's specifically focused on the body positive fat feminist perspective. So there are tons of great articles there. I hope that you'll check them out. Again, that's canweallgo.com linked in the show notes. 
We have another amazing episode from Oregon with Shiloh George coming up next. I hope that you will stay tuned and stay on the road with us. As soon as season four wraps, we are headed off to go do the interviews for season five. We'll be traveling through the Southwest United States. I'm so excited for what's to come. I hope you're looking forward to listening. Please go ahead and follow us on Instagram to help us hit that thousand follower threshold so we can host a giveaway to share some 50 Feminist States swag with more of you. Until then, I'll see you on the road. Special thanks to Danielle Sines and Jessica Neria for our theme song. Until next time, wild ones, we'll see you on the road.